Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, with Chappy and Pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind with a bowl full of chips. Hey, college football fans, happy day to you. Glad you came to listen to us, whether it's early in the day or gator in the afternoon. We know you have a grind, and we all know that you're warriors who may need a little boost to get you into the zona. Well, that's why you chose us, a bowl full of chips, college football's fastest-growing national podcast. We do what we do because college football is our passion, and our mission is giving you deep college football insight and analysis because at BFC, we bring football closer. I am your co-host, a very happy chappy, joined as always by my brother, the man with more than zip than Akron. He's the Bip. Bipman, week zero is in the books, and we had two dandy games on Saturday. Uh, now, a couple things that jump out to me. I saw on Twitter, and I heard people calling in on college football radio shows all week saying that it was sloppy it you know week zero is a joke it shouldn't happen it's the equivalent of preseason nfl games i say to all those people shut the hell up boo and i mean come on (laughs) folks we've waited practically uh what seems like a year for college football to come back and i don't know what anybody's talking about that florida miami game was exciting went right down to the wire when it shouldn't yes arizona hawaii Literally that was went a bar down, burner. Yeah, to the one yard line. And we can talk about that in just a minute. But I mean, people who complain about week zero, what the hell? That's like saying there's too much ranch on my salad. That's like saying there's too many beautiful women in the room. There's too many zeros on my paycheck. You're complaining about something that makes you sound like a lunatic. I don't know, Bip. What are your thoughts? I, I, I completely or I agree completely. And Mike Golick brought up a good point. He said moving week zero into week one and giving these teams one more week isn't going to fix the sloppy play or the right. rush shown. You can practice all you want, but games are different situations. And your first week of play is usually going to be, uh, you know, a subpar performance across the board, whether you play it in week one or uh, in week zero. So I don't know what people are complaining about. And what else are we going to watch? I mean, is someone going to turn on soccer or the WNBA or the Little League World Series during this time? I mean, come on. Any any bad football, and I'm looking at you, Cheez-It Bowl, between Cal and TCU, <laughs> right. is still better than no football. Yeah, I would, I would rather watch uh, Rutgers and UTEP, their fourth teamers, play in a controlled scrimmage in front of an empty stadium than I would the WNBA all-star game or um, <laughs> I, some... I'd rather watch that uh, Michael McDonald thing on loop from 40 year old virgin all day <laughs> than, than to watch some of the other options that we have uh, instead of uh, instead of football. So that's right. You put football on TV, Yamo be there. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, the Twitter followers are growing and we are not necessarily trying to go Kardashian on you, but we want to know, that we're reaching out and giving the goodness to more and more people. Bip and I, we are givers. So if you don't already, please give us a follow on Twitter. I am at champion underscore lit. And I am at BFC Bip. 
So share our handle with others, like our posts if you want to, reply with agreements or aggravations, retweet, and even direct message us with questions or commentary, ideas for what we can do for you, the college football fan. Like we said, we love what we do, but we also want to work for you. Visit our show's Twitter page on at Bowlful of Chips, where we post our website for a growing number of resources, information, rankings, previews, lists, thoughts, reactions, all the kinds of good stuff, all the good college football goodies. You can also find links to our previous podcasts and contact us at bowlfullofchips.com. I'm sorry, bowlfullofchips at gmail.com. Um, <laughs> so let's start, Bip. Let's take about 10 minutes or so. Let's recap week zero. Um, start with what we learned. I'll, I'll, I'll hit us off here. What I learned, Felipe Franks has not yet matured. We saw bad throws, bad reads, partying with his fans and jawing with Miami fans during the game. And again, as a quarterback, that's not something as a head coach, as an offensive coordinator, as a position coach, as a fan, and as an analyst, I don't feel confident seeing my quarterback. I don't care at what juncture in the game, whether you're um, back and forth like Florida was or whether you're up by 40 points. I don't want to see that going on during the game. I want to see his head in the game, and I want to see that he's a team player. Um, So, you know, the big question was, and they even the ironic thing is they did that piece on – game day about Felipe Franks and how he said, yeah, he realized that last year he made some immature decisions. He did some immature things, um, but he wants to learn from it. And then he comes out here and basically poops his pants in front of a national (laughs) TV audience. Um, He was reacting to Miami defenders after the whistle and the coup de gras was punting the ball after the game. Dude, you almost cost your team the game. You should have just done your post-game interview and said something like, I have things to work on, but we'll get it fixed and we'll get better and get ready for the next game. This guy's celebrating like they just won the Sugar Bowl and like, you know, he was a Heisman finalist. His stats were respectable, but those two interceptions, especially the one at the end, that was about as bad a throw as any college football quarterback could make. Even Art Sikowski, who threw 18 of them last year, I don't know <laughs> that I saw any one of those 18 nearly as poorly a decision as Frank's made. So that's what I learned from this one, Bip. Well, Chappie, I learned that despite going up against a very, very tough Florida Gator defense, I'm still got, I still have plenty of questions for that hurricane offense. Now the hurricane struggled to get to to Felipe Franks and they did force four turnovers. uh, But that, that offense really needed each one of those. And were it not for those turnovers and a couple strong performances by Brevin Jordan, DJ Dallas, this game could have really been ugly for the Hurricanes. I wasn't overly impressed with Jaron Williams. It's tough to impress when you're under duress most of the game, and he got sacked 10 times, and the Gators mm-hmm. were constantly in the backfield. So we'll see how he looks in week two against North Carolina and how he looks throwing the ball down the field, assuming he has more time to throw. But I didn't come away overly impressed with him. I didn't come away overly impressed uh, with the Hurricane offense, especially that offensive line. And I'm wondering if it's going to be more of the same to last year, even though they had uh, a lot of hype and a lot of publicity about uh, guys transferring in and Dan Enos coming over and um, becoming the new offensive coordinator. Yeah, and you know it's it's funny you say that about Jaron Williams. All I heard from most um, you know analysts is how impressed they were at him or, or with him. And I, I I I don't know why they came away so impressed. Sure, he's a redshirt freshman that came in. The Gators have a very stingy defense that can get to the quarterback, but he didn't really throw the ball down the field. He had uh, a decent completion percentage, but if you were to take away 
um, a couple of big plays by DJ Dallas and you take away Brevin Jordan, then what did Jaron Williams really do throughout the game? So I really want to see what he looks like against North Carolina because it's a much more formidable defense. Maybe he impresses a little more, but I got to wonder if uh, there's some rumblings after the North Carolina game as to whether Jaron Williams sticks it out for the whole season or not. Yeah, and what I was most impressed is how he didn't seem to be, um, you know, affected by that that stingy uh, Gator defense. He, yeah, you know, he threw for 214 yards. He completed 65 percent of his passes, so that was impressive in his first game against a really good defense. However, take it with a grain of salt because Miami backed themselves up so many times with penalties that Florida was in that prevent defense where they were essentially giving him 10 to sometimes 12, 15 yards of cushion as long as they protected the sticks. So I'm curious to see how many of those passing yards came in second or third in what seemed like uh, forever because that Miami offense just kept shooting themselves in the foot with false start penalties, holding penalties, delay a game, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that was was a very sloppy performance by that offensive group. So let's move on. What surprised you from week zero, Bip? Well, Chappie, that uh, Arizona game was quite entertaining. And while I was off by one point in my score prediction for each team, I'll try a little harder this coming week. (laughs) A little pat on the back there. (laughs) I was surprised that Cole McDonald was pulled, honestly. I know he threw four picks, but one of those was tipped. He completed over 70% of his passes. And I I don't know. I, I, I can see the rationale of not wanting to cause, you know, force any more turnovers if you're uh Rolovich. But to me, it seems like he was maybe pulled a little prematurely. Now, I think you touched upon this um, in our, in our podcast last week that uh, their backup is, has impressed coaches. Uh, Cordero mm-hmm. has impressed coaches throughout the year uh, last year and in the spring. So maybe they really just wanted to get Cole McDonald outside of his head give him a breather. And they knew that they had uh, the game in good hands, bringing in Cordero. But I was kind of surprised with that. And while I wasn't surprised at how good the Florida pass rush was, I was surprised at how bad that Miami offensive line was 10 sacks, 16 tackles for loss. They got a lot of things to figure out. Yeah, how about you, and, Jeppy? And the, uh, you know, Kirk Herbstreet reminded us ad nauseum that they were playing two freshmen at, at both tackle spots and they were oh were they they were there yeah right um oh and in case you didn't know Dwayne Haskins uh always wanted to go to Ohio State since like eight seven or something like that but um that's breaking news um yeah so just to you know my two thoughts on Cole McDonald is number one I love watching that guy play quarterback yeah and you could kind of see in his eyes because they gave a lot of shots of him on the sideline basically it seemed between every play in the third and fourth quarter. And he had that look like, why am I, why was I pulled? Why am I on the bench? Right. I'm assuming that Rolovich didn't want to damage his psyche going into the remaining parts of the season, because you know, everybody's going to be talking about not that he completed 70% of his passes, except for you, kudos to you. um, Or the (laughs) fact that he threw for over 400 yards there. They focus on the negative. And unfortunately that's where we are as a society. We focus on the negative and, or I should say society focuses on the negative and they say, well, he threw four picks. And so I think Rolovich kind of did it as a way to just kind of change pace. But we saw what Chevin Cordero did. And you can bet that there's going to be a two quarterback duo going into next uh, in two weeks when yeah. Hawaii plays again. And it's not because McDonald did anything wrong. I think it's just because Cordero really took advantage of his opportunity and not only gives them a, a good arm, but 
the guy's a winner. I mean, he backed up Tua Tungavailoa at East St. Louis High School, or I'm sorry, St. Louis High School in, in Honolulu, and the guy won a, a boatload of games when he was in there. So, um, you know, expect to see both McDonald and Cordero, and I honestly think that that will benefit the Warriors going through this season. We'll talk more about, uh, you know, some group of five teams, but I could see Hawaii pulling off nine or ten wins this season. They really did impress me overall offensively mm-hmm. and in their front seven. But that secondary sucked. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be blunt about it. They sucked. What surprised yes. me is how Arizona had six turnovers gifted to them. It wasn't like yeah. they forced them. Um, right. They were gifted. I mean, the four interceptions, uh, two of them by McDonald were basically just bad throws. And I think that one of his flaws was trying to throw the deep ball too many times. You know, right. dink and dunk, take what's given underneath you don't have to hit the home run every time even with a talented guy like Cedric Bird but Arizona had six turnovers and still lost I don't know if that's ever happened I would I would want to look into that and see what were the most amount of turnovers gained by a losing team yeah Um, and and when you force turnovers it's important to score off those turnovers but it's also equally important not to let the opponent score after said turnovers were forced and Arizona just couldn't do that (laughs) right and and I, I put in my notes here the big reason was Khalil Tate he just did not look comfortable, and he doesn't look comfortable as a passer. He doesn't mm-hmm. even look comfortable as a runner, save for maybe a couple of runs. But we saw him go out of bounds. It's, it's almost like, you know, and I heard people talk about he's trying to improve his draft status. I think he's hurt himself in the last, you know, last year and then in this first game. He reminds me kind of the college version of Ryan Leaf after Leaf had his great senior season and then what a significant drop off he had in the pros. And I like Ryan Leaf as a, you know, as a guy now. I mean, he seems to have cleaned up his act. I think he's a positive Mm -hmm. addition to the ESPN family. Um, But Khalil Tate just doesn't seem to have that fire. I mean, he was kind of laughing on some plays, kind of like, oh, it is what it is. And (laughs) if I'm Kevin Sumlin and if I'm Noel Mazzoni, that's not the competitor I want to see at my at my quarterback spot. So I I think you may need to look at looking into the future, especially as you are focused on your, your own job. So uh, what questions do you have after week one here, Bip, or after week zero? Well, I'm wondering how Hawaii handles that quarterback situation moving forward. I don't think McDonald loses his job, but what kind of leash does he have? And how often does Cordero see the field after impressing against the Wildcats? Um, I'm also wondering, does Miami modify that offense to help out Jaron Williams more so so he isn't under constant duress? Now, they won't play another pass rush like this for a while, but it should still be a concern for them moving forward. Do they roll him out more? Do they use his athleticism? Uh, Do they drop? uh, Do you see Brevin Jordan split out more as a wideout and have a a two two tight end set so you have another blocking tight end in to help with the uh, opposing pass rush? Um, so those are the big questions that I had coming out of the week, Chappie. How about you? My question is, how well will Miami utilize their individual talents this season? So similar to what you were talking about, they showed some really good things at quarterback and wide receiver. I was surprised that K.J. Osborne, we didn't see anything of him after the first quarter. I mean, he was really carrying that offense and Brevin Jordan as well. And I know that they put C.J. Henderson on Jordan. I thought that was an outstanding matchup to watch. Mm-hmm. Um Running back, I was impressed with DJ Dallas as a receiver out of the backfield, like I talked about in our last podcast. And then Cameron Harris had some, you know, physical runs, some good bursts. And on defense at times, um, you know, they continued to be opportunistic, but they've got to do two things better. One, stop committing so many mindless offensive penalties before the whistle. And second is friggin' tackle. Um, And Florida does, for that matter, as well. So, um, 
So briefly, a bit before we get into our look at week one, let's let's crown our, our Chappie's champion. So I'll give mine. You give yours. My champion for week zero is the Florida front seven. I'm talking um, Jonathan Grenard, uh, Jabari Zuniga, Kyrick Campbell, Adam Schuler, even their two backup linebackers, Jeremiah Moon and Ventrell Miller, who I thought looked better than their starters, Reese and Bernie. All those guys in the front seven, both on the first team and the second team, the D-line and linebackers accounted for eight and a half sacks, 41 tackles, 13 and a half tackles for loss, and made Jaron Williams a runner more than he wanted to be and saved their secondary's ass a handful of times, especially mm-hmm. at the end when the Gator DBs were being, well, DBs. Of course, I'm referring <laughs> to a bag of feminine freshman enhancement. Um, so who's your champion, Bip? Who stood out to you? Well, Chappie, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it my Bips VIP or my VIP, okay. and I'm nice. gonna go with <laughs> I'm gonna go with Cedric Bird, who hauled in 15 passes for 227 yards, four touchdowns. He didn't come out of nowhere, but he is a household name after that performance. Whoever starts at quarterback for the Rainbow Warriors has a dynamic pass catching option in Bird as well as JoJo Ward yeah. uh, to throw to. And then a quick runner-up is Steve Spurrier for having that look on his face that we were all feeling <laughs> after that, that Felipe Franks awesome. interception. It embodied the thought of, are you effing kidding me? Right. And I think everyone had that same look on their face. I'm really glad that the camera guy caught that from Spurrier, looking like only Steve Spurrier can after a boneheaded play, uh, decision like that from Franks. And I almost wonder if he had a visor earlier in the game, but that had been tossed <laughs> to the floor. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it would have been had he been wearing it. So, (laughs) well, week zero is over. We are now one day uh, into or before we get to week one, Bip. What an awesome, I mean, one of the best weekends of the year prior to bowl season. Labor Day weekend. We've got games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then we turn back around and we get back again on Thursday of next week. So let's start. Um, We won't waste any time. Let's let's hear two or three games from each of us where we where we break it down and we give our um, our picks. So I'm going to start going out West Coast with my Northwestern Wildcats, who are getting six and a half points playing at number 25 Stanford and Palo Alto, four o'clock Eastern time on the Fox Sports. So this is two teams, you know, they're they're calling it the Nerd Bowl or the Boss Bowl, okay, or the I'm gonna be your boss later bowl. Uh, <laughs> I think the guys on the Eyes on Big podcast called it something like that. So shout out to you guys. But um, you know, you've got David Shaw and Pat Fitzgerald, two of the most respected, disciplined, do it right coaches in college football. Um, what it's gonna come down to for me is. Stanford's offense against Northwestern's defense. Stanford was putrid running the football last year, 123rd in the country. Bip, they were seven from the bottom. They were the seventh worst rush offense in college football. And when you think about what they've had, Toby Gearhart, um, you know, Bryce Love, Christian McCaffrey, uh, uh, Tyler uh, um, Gaffney. I mean, Gaffney. these guys, six of the their last eight guys ran for 1,500 yards, and two of them had 2,000-yard rushing seasons. And we know that they love the ground and pound. They like to block you with eight or nine guys at a time, sometimes 10, and just run between the tackles and either run over you, run at you, or run around you. They didn't do that last year, and Bryce Love is now gone. So yep. I, th- I think we're going to see K.J. Costello take to the air. He's got a young and somewhat inexperienced group of receivers, but they're tall. Almost everybody in their in their two deep, so their top six receivers stand six two or taller. 
Northwestern doesn't have any defensive back who stands over six foot one. So that could be a matchup problem. They also have All-American caliber tight end Colby Parkinson, who can run down the middle of the field, who can attack the flats. KJ Costello was the Pac-10 or Pac-12's most accurate quarterback and the highest quarterback rating in the conference last season. I think that that's going to be a matchup that Stanford should and will exploit to their benefit. Stanford's defense was actually better than most people give them credit for last year as they were um, in the really the top third of most significant defensive categories. I really like their front seven. Um, Jovan Swan, ESPN came out with their, their latest metric system where basically they equate it to like a Madden rating. And Jovan Swan, this surprised me, came out ranked as the most productive and most valuable defensive player returning in college football this year, which is a little bit um, of a head scratcher. I mean, you look at his stats last year, they were impressive, but they weren't necessarily award-winning. He had 28 tackles, four and a half sacks, two and a half tackles for loss, and, you know, one quarterback hurry. So you look at that, and there's a handful of guys in the conference who had better stats, but I guess what they're, they're pointing out is when he was on the field, he had the most impact. Northwestern, their defense, Patty Fisher, Blake Gallagher, the top two tacklers in the Big Ten a season ago. Um, they, they have to break in really two new cornerbacks. Greg Newsom comes back from injury. He was uh, played in five games last year, so he could have been redshirted with that four-game rule a season ago. He's an IMG Academy product, probably their best cover guy. But, you know, again, he only stands, I think, six foot. And, you know, if he can stay healthy, that'll be good. But their corner on the other side, Trey Williams, is a little bit of a liability as he's more of a seven yards and in cover guy. Uh, Joe Gaziano is, in my opinion, the most, the best kept secret at defensive line maybe in the country. But Stanford recruits offensive linemen well. They, they have to replace four guys from last year's offensive line, but they just seem to reload and, and rebuild there in Palo Alto. So I'm going to go... Uh, unfortunately against my heart. And I'm going to take Northwestern to cover the six and a half points, but I'm going to pick Stanford in this one, 24, 20 winning because, you know, they get the, the Wildcats out on the West coast and um, David Shaw gets off to at least a good start in week one, because their first four games are brutal. They go to USC in their next game. Then they travel to UCF to play the golden Knights. And then they have to play Oregon. So very easily could be, one and three, but if they can go come out of that three and one, especially with a, a win against the Wildcats here in, in week one, that's going to go a long way to Stanford's successful season. Yep. And I, I'm going to disagree with you on that one. I, I like the, the Wildcats in this one. I don't like the fact that they have to travel out to Palo Alto. And I'm also not a huge fan that Northwestern's breaking in a new quarterback. However, I think that Stanford loses too much this year, breaking in an entire new group of receivers. I do love Colby Parkinson. I think KJ Costello is a heck of a quarterback. Um, their tackles should be uh, pretty good. They have the talent. We'll see how, how well they perform um, this year as that offensive line did not play well last year. The defensive line uh, of the, on, uh, on that side of the ball, they got blown off the ball, uh, you know, in different games last year. And, their, three of their four losses last year were against their more physical teams, against Notre Dame, Utah, and Washington. I think Northwestern's one of the more physical teams that they'll play against this year. If Isaiah Bowser uh, runs for over 100 yards, that gives Northwestern a huge advantage in this one. And I love that group of linebackers for Northwestern. So I'm going to go with Northwestern in what should be a very sound, very technically um, uh, so, uh, sorry, a very technically sound game in this one. Um, that will be in 
uh, stark contrast to that Miami and Florida game. I'm going to give uh, Northwestern the nod here by three in this game, Chappie. Okay, so yeah, they'll cover and, and you have them win straight up. Okay, um, give us uh, give us another game. What's 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 a well, game to look at from your side? Uh, well, I'm going to go with the uh, Auburn Tigers, who are favored by three and a half against the Oregon Ducks, and what's really the marquee matchup of Week One, and should go a long way towards defining the playoff picture. So. In the uh, with the Oregon offense against the Auburn defense, the number one matchup in this entire game is going to be that vaunted Oregon offensive line versus that nasty Auburn defensive line. Auburn is incredibly talented and deep on that uh, on the defensive line with Nick Coe, Derek Brown, Marlon Davidson and Big Cat Bryant, amongst others. Mm -hmm. They can rush the passer, stop the run and will be the biggest test that that Oregon offensive line will have all year. If the Ducks can keep Herbert upright and limited to three sacks or fewer and manage to rush for over 100 yards, that will go a long ways. could be enough to spell victory for the Ducks because if Auburn has any advantage over uh, Oregon in this game, it should be uh, along the line there, despite how good that Auburn or that Oregon offensive line is. But the Ducks have the best one-two punch of running backs in the Pac-12 with C.J. Verdell, Travis Dye, and if they're given even moderate running lanes in this contest, they have the ability to take advantage of that with a brand new group of Auburn linebackers. Um, so if they can get past that first uh, line of defense, look for those two to maybe bust uh, some 10-yard um, runs to, to really wear down that Auburn defense. And Auburn has a, an experienced group of defensive backs returning this year, but I really like this group of receivers that the Ducks possess with Juwan Johnson, Jalen Redd, and some talented underclassmen. I think having Justin Herbert gives the Ducks the advantage offensively over that Tigers defense. And flipping the uh, flipping the ball around here, the Auburn offense against that Oregon defense, I, I don't really hold like a whole lot that the Auburn offense possesses this year. Lots will be said um, about the Oregon offensive line, but the, the Auburn offensive line should be able to hold its own as well, but that's really the, the main thing that I like about the Tigers this year offensively. Um, that line's made up entirely of seniors, and they're all returning starters, and they're going to need to be on their game because the Tigers will be breaking in a true uh, freshman quarterback, Bo Nix, and have an inexperienced group of uh, um, receivers coming back as well. Um I think that they're going to need to have a steady dose of Whitlow and Martin out of the backfield to keep Bo Nix from having to do too much and also to keep that explosive off uh, Oregon offense off the field. That might be tough to do against a good Ducks front seven that returns Troy Dye, Jordan Scott, and finished 43rd in rush defense last year. I think if Oregon struggles to run the ball, they might have a hard time generating much offense at all. As I said, the new quarterback and a green group of receivers could struggle as is, but the Ducks secondary might surprise this year. I like them, uh, that secondary a lot, led by Thomas Graham, Javon Holland, amongst others. Um, so the couple players to watch, in my opinion, I really like Jawan Johnson uh, for Oregon. I think that he has a big year this year, and it starts here against Auburn. Um, and for the Tigers, Look out for true freshman uh, Bo Nix, but also true freshman linebacker Owen Popoe. He's mm -hmm. impressed a lot during the spring. He was one of their top recruits this past year. Um, so this, to me, is a make-or-break-it year for Gus Malzahn. And while this could be the year um, that Mario Cristobal may be the Pac-12 coach of the year, I think the Ducks represent one of the more balanced offenses in the country. And I think that their defense will keep them in more games than what people might think. I don't normally like opening week games against the SEC opponents as the SEC typically does really well in these cross-conference uh, week one matchups. But I think the Ducks cover the spread and win this one outright 
by double digits. I have Oregon 31, Auburn 20. Wow. Uh, I'm going to yeah. completely go against you and say, <laughs> number one, I have Auburn winning. Um, I have them covering the three and a half and, and winning 27-21. So okay. not, by, not by much, but what it comes down to, everybody's talking about, uh, I mean, I probably listened to about six different podcasts in the last two days. And on this game, all anybody talks is about is Oregon's offensive line and Auburn's defensive line. Yeah, I get it. I'm going to flip it around and say <laughs> what's really going to make the difference is Auburn's offensive line against Oregon's defensive line. I think that if Auburn can, like you said, get some production out of their run game, and if they can wear down that front four or even that front seven for the Oregon defense, I think that's going to go a long way. Bo Nix is, I mean, it's it's a pseudo home game for Auburn playing in, in right. Dallas, essentially. So they're going to travel well. I don't know how well the Ducks fans are going to travel. I, I really don't think, you know, it's, it's not going to be a home field advantage for either team. But I think just the fact that it's it's a closer game for Auburn, they're they're going to feel a little bit more at home. I think that Bo Nix, you know, he won Mr. Alabama as a football player last year. He's been around college football his whole life. His dad, Patrick, was a quarterback at Auburn. I just see Gus Malzahn um, basically going all in this year, and I think it's going to pay off for him. I mean, he. He's going to be a riverboat gambler this year, and and if there's anybody to gamble and win, I like my chances on Gus Malzahn as opposed to when he has played at conservative. I, I love the idea that he's calling the plays again this year, and I trust him on offense much more than I trust Andy Avalos. Now, Avalos comes over as a defensive coordinator from Boise State. He's a good defensive coordinator, but he's never been a defensive coordinator in a Power 5 conference. And now I think this is kind of a wake-up game again. I think it goes back and forth, similar to last year's game with Auburn against Washington. But I like the Tigers to pull away at the end. I think that Knicks will have enough playmakers on the outside, led by Seth Williams. And, you know, nobody talks about Sal Canella as basically a, a tight end playing wide receiver. I think that he can come up and play big dividends. I like that. Stand or I'm sorry, that Oregon secondary, but I like them more on the corners than I do necessarily um, at safety. And so I think that Auburn and Malzahn are going to try and hit the seams. I, I like them getting enough and getting enough from the run game. And like I said, really that Auburn offensive line eventually wearing down and controlling the game against Oregon's defensive line. So again, I'm going to take the Tigers 27-21 covering the spread uh, that they get laying three and a half points. Right. One thing to remember, Auburn with Jarrett Stidham and Ryan Davis and Darius Slayton, uh, who all left uh, going into this year, uh, finished 75th in the country in passing, 79th in total yards offensively last year. So with true freshman Bo Nix coming in, unless he lights the world on fire, I don't see this Auburn offense uh, having a ton of success, especially against what could be a, a pretty uh, daunting Oregon defense um, if they play up to their potential. Yeah, so. yeah, and and I, um, I I can respect that. But then again, when Gus Malzahn called the offensive plays against Purdue in the right. bowl game, they scored 742 points. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of the thing that, that is the X factor for me. If – if he, if Chip Lindsey was still calling the offense, or if he had another offensive coordinator, I would say nope. This is going to be his undoing, and I would take Oregon here. But I like the Malzahn factor, and, and that's what puts me over the edge and, and gives the Tigers. Plus, I know that there's a lot of people who hate the SEC, but I just don't see the Pac-12 with any team that can compete in Week One against the SEC. That might change at the end of the season if the Pac-12 gets um, 
one of those teams, you know, a lot of people are saying that Utah might be a sleeper. They might be able to compete in their 14th game against an SEC team. But in week one, I got to go with the, the SEC. Just they're, they're bigger, they're stronger. Um, I, I'm not even going to say they're faster because Oregon has speed, but bigger, stronger. And again, the right. fact that it's in Dallas, I'm going to go Auburn. So okay. uh, my next pick, I'm going to go to California. And I'm going to take the Fresno State-USC game. And the reason I'm choosing this is because everybody um, is calling Kim Helton, or I'm sorry, Clay Helton as one of the worst coaches in college football. They're saying he doesn't deserve a job. He should have been fired last year. Oh, my gosh, we have to suffer through another season. However... You can't see me right now, but I'm raising my hand to all of those, Chappie. (laughs) Right. Well, I think that he made a very wise decision in bringing in Graham Harrell. And I'm going to say, and I've said it before... I think that's a better move than Cliff Kingsbury. If Kingsbury was there, I wouldn't have as much confidence because Kingsbury, you know, is basically just it would have been a, a placeholder until he got his next job. Well, he got his next job, and Graham Harrell comes in. <laughs> Graham Harrell has been at North Texas and is trying to establish himself first and foremost as a Power 5 offensive coordinator. I think he's going to do that this year, and that's going to springboard him into a coaching job, a head coaching job eventually. Um, so USC is giving 13 and a half points to Fresno State. Now, Fresno State has won, I think, 24 games in the last two years under Jeff Tedford. They were way back when, uh, for, for some of our fans who were maybe in diapers, they were the Boise State and they were the UCF before any of that happened. So it used to be that nobody outside the Power Five could compete. Well, Fresno State did, and they did it with uh, you know David Carr way back in the day. Um, so... Getting back to my point here, it's a lot of people are saying that this could be a game that trips up USC in the Coliseum. Fresno State has been successful the last two years. Jeff Tedford is a great offensive mind. I think we're going to see a, an explosion by USC on offense this year. I'm not going to call an explosion in this game, but I think it's going to be more than two touchdowns. So I'm going to call for USC to cover this one and win 31-14 over Fresno State. So... um you know, I talked about Harrell. He's got one of the best group of receivers in the country, and it's you know it goes with upperclassmen. But then you also include Drake London, Munir McLean, who have impressed in uh, preseason camp, um, and that doesn't include Brew McCoy, who has not been uh, cleared yet by the NCAA. I I'm willing to bet that they're going to say he has to sit out this season, and I think that that's the right decision that the NCAA should yep. make. Um, but they do have Kyle Ford. They've got, um, you know, uh, Drake, or I, I mentioned London, and I mentioned McLean. But let's get to their, their upperclassmen. Amon Ross St. Brown, Tyler Vaughns, Michael Pittman. Um, I mean, these are three guys who, just as a trio of receivers with JT Daniels, who is in a system now that he's more comfortable running, uh, from what I understand, he ran more of a wide open, uh, a better pass offense than what he was trying to run last year. I think that he's going to learn from his mistakes a season ago. I think that Harrell is a very good quarterback tutor, and I think that he's a very good play caller. Um, you know, they, uh, <clears throat> I think that the USC players are so tired of hearing about Clay Helton's job, and I think that that's going to be their chip on their shoulder. They want to go out and they want to prove that they can play. They don't need Clay Helton to be a great coach. They themselves are talented enough to play, and I think that their uh, coaching staff collectively under Helton is going to be able to get the job done this year more so than people think. Now, defensively, that's where some people might have some questions. They were middle of the pack as a younger group last year. 
But I think, Bip, they're going to be much improved, and they're going to feast on this new Bulldog quarterback, Jorge Reina. Uh, the defensive line for USC will be a strength, and their linebackers are good too, and we touched on that in our Pac-12 podcast recently. The secondary is where I have some questions. How will they show up? They're young, um, and they're going to play some young players, but I see them playing with some swagger here. They've got a lot of you know, star talent, and I'm talking about recruiting star rankings, You know, four-star, five-star guys that are playing in that secondary. Um, so, you know, that's really my big question on defense. But if you look at it, like I said, Fresno state is breaking in a new quarterback. They're breaking in some new receivers. They lost one of their two running backs for the year. Denzel Mims, Ronnie rivers is a good running back in his own right. And, and certainly a capable receiver out of the backfield, but we're going to see a lot of speed on this USC defense. And I think they're going to get back to playing Clancy Pendergast, the defensive coordinator said, we're just going to keep it simple. We were too complex last year, and I think we're going to start to see USC fly around the way that they did under Pete Carroll. Now, I'm not equating this team with any of those Pete Carroll championship teams, but what we saw under Pete Carroll is these guys had fun playing football. They were flying around the field. They were moving at the speed of light because they didn't have to think, and that's what USC coaches are saying they're going to do on both offense and defense, and I think that we're going to see that start in this game. So, again, I'm going to take the Trojans at home, 31-14 in a night game, beating Fresno State and proving that USC is going to be a team to contend with in the Pac-12 South this season. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. Um, I think that they cover the spread on this one. To me, uh, Fresno, Fresno State just loses way too much on offense as mm-hmm. well as losing some contributors on defense. I think they'll be sound defensively this year, but I think USC is going to be chomping at the bit to come out to show what that new kind of offense looks like and try to kind of atone for last year uh, in which they were actually in just about all of their games, but they blew a lot of sec- or, uh, halftime leads. So I'm sure that the number one message this year has just been finish, 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 finish. Um, I think, uh, Aaron, I'm with you. I, I have USC as having the third best group of receivers in the entire country this year. And not only are they talented, but they have uh, a wide variety of skills. You know, Tyler Vaughn's is that kind of um, in the middle. He is almost like a human joystick with his agility and his start-stop ability. Michael Pittman is an amazing deep threat, and Amon Ross St. Brown might be the most talented of the three. Plus, they got a couple highly talented freshmen that they have coming in, like you mentioned. I'm skeptical of their defense, but I think that it's good enough to keep Fresno State at bay. And, man, USC is going to hope – I mean, they're going to have to come away with this one as the the next five games that they have after this, Stanford at BYU – Utah at Washington at Notre Dame isn't going to give them any chance to catch their breath if they struggle in this game against Fresno State. So I'm with you. I think they cover the spread uh, easily in this one, and I think they walk away with it. By the way, um, I understand that this past you know season and off season, there you know things could have been handled differently. But people bag on Clay Helton. In his three years, he has won. Um, I'm looking at the trying to look at the number here. He's won 32 games. Um, and of the 12 games that they have lost in his last three seasons, eight of them have come against ranked teams. And of those eight ranked teams, five of them BIP, were in the top 10. So it's not like Clay Helton is losing against scrubs. It's not like he's losing non-conference games like, oh, I don't know, Akron or Duke. <laughs> Um, he's losing in uh, conference games and he's losing to like number one, Alabama, number seven, Stanford, 
number 10, Stanford, number three, Notre Dame. So he's losing some of these games where um, he's taking a, a USC team that maybe in most of those cases was lower ranked and losing to a team that's higher ranked. Now, obviously, your job is to win as a coach, but he's 32 and 17 in his uh, career here at USC. So I, I don't know why people are calling for his head right now where there's some other coaches who have allowed things to go on and have had maybe lesser of a track record. And I get it. It's USC. You're expected to win. But I'd say let's let's pump the brakes on Clay Helton for just a, a little bit. And if he can win nine games and the Pac-12 South, which I picked them to win this year, I think he'll be just fine. And I think USC fans will realize that they still have something pretty good going here, especially as he's brought in some better assistant coaches now. I, I almost wonder if Clay Helton's kind of similar to the mid, you know, the, the West coast version of a Jim Harbaugh almost in that yeah. he inherited a very talented roster um, and got more out of them than the previous regime. Sure. Right. But when you lose to Notre Dame two years in a row, you lose to Cal and Stanford, or I'm sorry, Cal and UCLA last year, right. finish five and seven. And you look like uh, you don't have your team going in the the right direction to where it's uh, you know you're you're a Pac-12 title contender every single year. Um, like you mentioned, it's I think it's just the 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 brevity of the the program that he's in and, and what they expect. Um, so, but yeah, yeah he's exactly. he's had an opportunity to prove himself this year because that first half of the schedule is brutal for the Trojans. It is, and again, that's another team kind of like Stanford. If they can get out of that. With, yep. uh, you know, 75% of the, the wins in the games that they played, look out for the Trojans. So um, who's your next game, Bip? Who, who do you pick? Well, I have the Florida State Seminoles who are uh, giving five and a half points to the Boise State Broncos. And um, this one's going to be played in, um, uh, not sure if it's... Jacksonville. Okay, that's right. I knew it was yep. in Florida, but it wasn't in Tallahassee. Thank you, right. Jappy. Yep. So uh, Florida State offensively against that Boise State defense. The the Seminoles have one of the more highly anticipated offensive premieres of any team in the country this year due to their disappointing season last year, and more importantly, bringing in your man crush, offensive whiz, Kendall Bryles. <laughs> Coach um, man crush. Coach man Yes. Okay, thank you. <laughs> the, the Seminoles bring back uh, on-again, off-again starter James Blackman and three of their top four receivers, including one of my surprise All-American picks to Maureen Terry. They have a talented backfield that is underachieved, but Cam Akers and Kalen LeBourne represent one of the more explosive backfields athletically in the country. All of this talent will mean nothing, though, if that offensive line doesn't round into shape. Uh, looking at you, Miami. This line has been one of the worst power five offensive lines in the past few years. And while yeah. Bryles new offense should help by getting the ball out of uh, Blackman's hands a little bit quicker, if Blackman's constantly pressured and the running game stalls, it could be more of the same as last year, despite the offensive scheme that they, that they bring in. So it doesn't help that the defensive line is Boise strength of their defense. And, and that could really change the Seminoles offensive line. Curtis Weaver's a terror getting into the backfield. The Broncos also returned David Moa for a sixth year as he lost most of last year with injury, essentially giving them four returning starters if you include Weaver in that bunch. Should the offensive line give Blackman time to throw, though, he may find it difficult to find open receivers as the Broncos return four starters in the secondary, all of whom could make all Mountain West teams this year. I give the nod to the FSU receivers, but it won't be easy to throw on Boise could be even harder to run on them as they finished 20th against the run last year and essentially only lose one starter in their front six. Flipping the ball around, 
Uh, similar to the Oregon Auburn game, the Boise offensive line versus the Florida State defensive line might be the marquee matchup of this mm-hmm. game. Boise returns all of their offensive linemen and have the best offensive line in the Mountain West. On the flip side, Florida State has lots of talent along that offensive line, especially Marvin Wilson, who's a nightmare in both the uh, rushing the passer and stopping the run at defensive tackle. On the outside, Janarius Robinson and Josh Kando. They have the talent. They need to show something this year, but they have the ability to be a couple of the better pass rushers in the ACC if they can put it all together. Boise State had a top 20 offense last year, but loses their top quarterback, top running back, and top two receivers. So that Florida State defense should have plenty of mismatches that they can take advantage of. And the Seminoles had a uh, bottom 30 defense last year, but they return uh, lots of talents in each um, part of the defense, especially in the secondary. I think that the secondary and the pass rush are the biggest keys for Florida State winning this game. Another true freshman quarterback will be starting this game for the Broncos, Hank Bachmeyer, uh, and he might struggle throwing on this fast, athletic secondary, uh, especially if the Seminoles' pass rush gets going. Keep an eye out on the turnovers, especially playing at home. If the Seminoles can force a couple early, they could control this game against the Broncos team traveling cross-country into a hostile environment. So, um couple players to watch, like I mentioned, Curtis Weaver for Boise State and then Josh Kando and Janarius Robinson from Florida State. I think whichever team has the more effective pass rush has the big advantage in this game. And stop me if you've heard this before, but Florida State has lots of potential and hope heading into this year with this talented roster. I'm going to need to see it to believe it uh, before I have them knocking off such a well-coached team like Boise. Playing at home helps, but I think this will be a low-scoring affair that has Boise winning the turnover battle covering the five and a half points and winning outright, upsetting the Seminoles. I like Boise 23-20 in this game, Chappie. Okay, interesting. Now, uh, I'm I'm curious to see what the weather will be like. There's uh, that tropical storm that's coming in, and you can only imagine that it's going to just be a downpour of rain. So that might negate uh, the explosiveness of both passing offenses, which means it's going to bring it down to um, you know how the run game does. So, mm-hmm. You know, Boise State as a freshman quarterback, and though he's talented, I think that he is going to, you know, in at the end of his career, be one of the better ones to wear a Bronco uniform. They have no mm-hmm. clear running back. They're going to go by committee, and they have to travel to play in this downpour in the humidity of Jacksonville, Florida, during the tropical storm. Uh, they've got good receivers, like you mentioned. Probably all of them are going to be first or second, third team all Mountain West, but they might be neutralized due to the sloppy field conditions and due to that secondary of the Seminoles. I think that that's going to be you know clearly florida state's strength and is going to be one of the better secondary units in the entire country uh i'm interested to see how this new look offensive line for florida state under new offensive line coach randy clements looks especially when they need to block a fairly talented bsu d line but i think we'll see the physical backs of florida state take over in the second half you mentioned cam Akers and caleb laborn um you know uh james blackman was talking to the media and they were asking him about you know, what can we expect from Cam Akers this year? And his quote was, I would advise that you don't blink. So, you know, Akers trying to come back from last year's disappointing season, a little bit of injury that banged him up. Uh, I think he's going to have something to prove. He's going to have a chip on his shoulder. And when you get a a Florida guy who, uh, and I know, I think he's from Mississippi actually, but, you know, playing in the state of Florida, especially in a Seminole Jersey, when they've got a chip on their shoulder, things are not good, save for 2018. So, um, 
I think we see these physical backs take over. I think we also see the offensive genius of Kendall Bryles. Even if he has to deal with the elements, the guy just knows how to coach offensive football. So I'm actually going to go with Florida State getting off to a good start in 2018 or 2019, and I have him winning 20 to 10, covering the five and a half over Boise State. But again, I, I'm with you. I think it will be low scoring, and it wouldn't shock me to see the game closer than five and a half. So I would stay away from you know, that pick if you're, if you're picking it, yeah. but you know, I, I, I do think that Florida state does cover simply because of the fact that um, they, they have, you know, the athletes to, to wear it down. But again, I'm with you. I, I have to see it to believe it. And, and I'm going out on a limb, assuming that they have a bounce back year and that those athletes do perform this year. Cause if they don't, if they lose to Boise state, Nobody's going to feel more heat than Willie Taggart. I can tell you that much. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, regardless of how good Boise State is. And, and on that note, you look at Brian Harson. You talk about a guy, and I don't know if he's made the claim that he's going to stay in Boise, but the dude is 52 and 15 here at Boise State, um, has not won less than nine games in his five seasons at, at the helm at Boise State. This is a guy that really deserves a lot more credit nationally than what he gets, Bip. Yeah, and I almost wonder if um, if he's just waiting for the the exact right opportunity, a la what Chris Peterson did, right. as opposed to jumping ship early. So give him credit for that for hanging on Absolutely. to a, a mid major, you know, group of five power to get his win total up and just sit around and wait for the opportunistic time. Mm-hmm. Um, or or maybe he wants to stay at Boise and keep it a power. Who knows? But yeah, right. hat hat tip to him for sure. Yeah. So uh, just one other game I want to touch on quickly, and this is actually going to be my lock pick for the week. Houston, the Cougars, playing on Sunday night at Oklahoma, are getting 24.5 points. Now, first of all, Dana Holgerson can coach offense. Secondly, Derek King is a legit Heisman contender. He's a legit All-American quarterback with the numbers he's going to put up. So to give the Houston Cougars 24 and a half points against an Oklahoma defense that gave up uh, about 50 a game last year, it seemed. And I know that they got Alex Grinch coming in as their new coordinator and they have the, the athletes to play on the defensive side, but they lost one of their top cover guys for the year. Trey Norwood is done for 2019. Give me Houston tw- getting 24 and a half all day, Bip. Um, I mean, we talk, I talk about King, I think against OSU, the defense getting their feet wet under Alex Grinch. I think that he's actually going to, Derek King is going to outduel Jalen Hurts. Everybody's going to be looking at Jalen Hurts. They're going to be talking about him. We're going to barf at how much ESPN is going to do stories and features and show highlights and talk about how he won, you know, all, this many mm-hmm. games and only lost three games at Alabama. He played in two national championships. He's got a ring, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> he's going to get beat in the stat line and he's going to be outplayed by Derek King. Um, you know, Houston needs a run game, though, to help balance and put stress on the OU defense. Uh, defensively, Houston was a big liability last year, especially in their final game against Army in the bowl game where they gave up a bowl season Whew. high 70 points, um, and that was on the ground. But again, I think that they're going to take that, and and they got Arkansas State's defensive coordinator, Joe Cothier, who uh, Arkansas State was in the top 10 in scoring defense the last three seasons. So you can expect Houston's defensive unit to be improved. I just think that this game is a lot closer than 24 and a half. I still take the Sooners at home. So Boomer Sooner winning 41, 28, 
but that's a 13 point point spread, which is going to be a, a much closer uh, margin than the 24 and a half that the Vegas odds makers are giving them. So I'm taking Oklahoma as my lock, um, 41-28, but Houston covering that 24 and a half points. And, and I forgot to mention that the uh, my Oregon pick is going to be my my lock of the week. But yeah, I'm with you on this one. I like Oklahoma to win this one easily, but not to cover the spread. I think that De'Ara King outplays Jalen Hurts in Hurts' first yeah. uh, game in a Sooner uniform, but I think it's the running game for the Sooners. Kennedy Brooks and uh, Trey Sermon take over this one yep. against that Houston uh, defense. So I like Oklahoma to win comfortably, but not as as much as what Vegas is saying. Right. Um, last game that I want to touch upon here real quick, Chappie, is uh, Vanderbilt against Georgia. Now, Georgia comes in 21-point favorites, but the game is at Vanderbilt, mm-hmm. and I think that this one might – yeah, and I think that this one could be um, – I've gone back and forth on this one. To me, this one's either just going to be a complete route by the Bulldogs or this is going to be an upset by Vandy, and the main reason why I say that is because of that Vanderbilt offense. I love yeah. the high-powered weapons that they have, Keyshawn Vaughn, Kalijah Lipscomb, Jared Pinckney, and although they still haven't uh, named a starter as of this morning, as far it's as I know, mirrors, man, it's smoke and mirrors. I, <laughs> I, I have to believe that it's going to be Riley Neal who um, plays for the Commodores and starts and plays well. I think that he's going to be one of the more underrated quarterbacks this year. He's going to have the most talent that he's ever played with by a wide margin. Big kid, got decent mobility, good arm, and I think that he's the perfect fit for um, this offense coming in as a transfer. I think um, that George is going to be able to score easily on this Vandy defense, as is everyone else in the SEC. But if Vandy can come up with a couple key stops and also obviously a couple key turnovers, this one's going to be a lot closer than what people might think, especially if Georgia comes out rusty on the road at night in their first game of the year. So in this one, I think that uh, Georgia end, ends up winning um, by about 10 points or so. But folks, keep an eye on this one. This isn't just going to be a run through the park like everyone might think when they see Georgia and Vandy in week one. I agree. I think Vandy beats the spread. Um, I, I have Georgia winning 31-17, but you know, Georgia's defense is loaded, but I wonder about their discipline a little bit. Vandy is a very disciplined team, and I think that uh, new offensive coordinator Jerry Godowski, he's been here for about four years now. He's coached quarterbacks. He's coached tight ends, I think. He was also coaching under Frank Solich on offense at Ohio for a couple of years, so I'm confident that he knows how to get this offense going. Um, he's not a new guy into the system, and it's not really new terminology because their offensive coordinator from last year is now the offensive coordinator, Andy Ludwig, at Utah, and he did a fantastic job. But again, what a cupboard of, of weapons to work with with the big three you talked about. And yeah, Riley Neal's got to be the starting quarterback. I don't see, um, I think, Deuce Wallace is their backup, and then yeah. I don't even know who their third string is. And, and Wallace just came back from basically suspension all year right. last year, yeah. and it sounded like he didn't really impress uh, a ton of people in the spring. So it's got to be Riley Neal. I think it's just a way to um, kind of play games with the whole depth right. thing. And, which, go ahead. And I, th- I think that Derek Mason, similar to Gus Malzahn, I don't think Mason's on near as hot of a seat, but if Vanderbilt misses a bowl game this year, he, there could be rumblings around Vanderbilt's campus that is it time to look elsewhere as Mason's really gotten him to a six win point, And that's about as good as he's gotten. I think that Mason will pull out all the stops this year, especially in week one. So look yeah. for some trickery, some trick plays, 
and uh, lots of going for it on fourth down, potentially depending on what the, the field position in is as he's going to be swinging for the fences out of the gate in this one. Yep. All right. Well, let's get to your uh, Bips trip up game or our upset specials of the week. So who do you have getting uh, upset in week one, Bip? I'm going to go with South Florida getting 13 and a half points uh, playing against Wisconsin. So this is a home game for South Florida. So not an easy trip for the Badgers to make, especially in week one. South Florida started off as a potential group of five buster and validated that through seven games last year, starting off undefeated and knocking off power five teams, Georgia Tech and Illinois. Then they lost their next six straight, including their bowl game. And it was one of the most disappointing teams of 2018. However, they returned lots from last year's team, including quarterback Blake Barnett, running back Jordan Cronkright, two of their top three receivers, and four starters on the offensive line. Charlie Strong, to me, is still one of the top coaches in the uh, Group of Five conferences, and I think he's got his team hungry and ready for this one. The game is uh, at, the game is at home, um, as I mentioned before. Wisconsin loses a lot on both sides of the ball, outside of Jonathan Taylor and their secondary uh, defensively. So if Wisconsin starts off rusty and tackles like Miami did, and if they don't see a stark improvement to what that poor defense showed last year, which is really uncharacteristic of the Badgers, I think USF has the athletes to make them pay. And so I, I would say that this one's going to be definitely closer than the 13 and a half. I wouldn't be shocked if USF comes away with the victory in this one, um, especially if Jonathan Taylor continues to have some of those fumble problems that he's had in his career. I also like a couple games, I already mentioned, Northwestern over Stanford, and I like the potential of Vandy over Georgia and Houston over Oklahoma, uh, which we've already touched upon. Chappie, how about you? What you're kinda, you're which... talking Houston over, over, over Oklahoma uh, against the spread, right? Not, not straight uh, up. Correct. Correct. Okay, uh, I, yeah. I like, I like the potential of Vandy over Georgia, the right. potential of Houston over Oklahoma yeah. wouldn't go uh placing a hundred bucks on either of those games outright though. Yeah. So touching on South, South Florida, uh, is Jadinklid Mardoon going to be uh, a factor? <laughs> um, sure hope yeah, so. I, I like that too, because it's going to be hot and humid. It, it might even be a monsoon in, in, uh, Tampa as well for that game. So I, Wisconsin, always seems to kind of struggle on the road or against uh, teams. Charlie Strong's team is going to be one to reckon with in the AAC this year. There's a lot of people writing off the the bulls, but this is going to be a a good squad that Charlie Strong has. And I, I do think that Charlie Strong can be a good coach. And I think this is a year where um, he's got the media and he's got the college football world right where he wants him counting them out. Dis, you know, disregarding what he can do. So I, I'm not going to, I think Wisconsin wins, but I do agree that South Florida uh, could be a team that covers a spread there. My upset, I'm going to go with North Carolina, who's getting eight points over South Carolina in Charlotte. So it's going to be more of a home game for the Tar Heels. Mac Brown's back. Um, There's a lot of buzz about Sam Howell for him to win the job, uh, you know, for him to flip from Florida state and be, you know, one of the top recruits in the ACC I think that's going to go a long way. Daz Newsom is a, is a very talented skill guy on the outside. So I think that the Tar Heels win this straight up and they cover the eight points over South Carolina. I also like Pitt getting two and a half and beating Virginia at Heinz field in their opener at seven thirty oh. on Saturday night. Yeah. So everybody's high on the Virginia Cavaliers. I think that their balloon gets deflated in week one and uh, they kind of get brought down to earth. Now, I'm not saying that they tank this season, but in terms of Virginia 
you know, competing and, and being a threat in the Coastal Division. I think that they get knocked off by Pitt in week one. I, I like the fighting their doozies there, especially playing at home at night. Um, so give me Pitt in that one. I also called on Twitter, and I called it in our uh, preseason podcast, although injuries have made me a little bit more nervous. But I'm going to go with Oregon State winning straight up and certainly covering the 15 points that they're getting over Oklahoma State on Friday night. Uh, Pac-12 after dark, it's a, uh, it's a late-night game, so everybody can watch it. I just like what Jonathan Smith has got going or, or what he can do at Oregon State. They're going to be without Trevon Bradford, who's out for this game. And Jeremy Reichner, their defensive end, is gone for the season. But a um, lot of talent on that offensive side. I think that they'll be better on defense. They got help from the transfer portal. So give me the Beavers to um, make things uh, you know hot and sticky for the Oklahoma State Cowboys in um, in Reeser Stadium out in Corvallis <laughs> there, Bips. So I, um, I'm, I'm not as, as high on Virginia as everyone else is, but I am certainly a lot lower on Pitt uh than than some are as well i i don't like i don't like pitt to uh to outscore that uh virginia offense at all um i like virginia to win that one comfortably and i'm also not too uh certain about oregon state as much as you are chappy i really like that oklahoma state offense and the potential that they have excited to see spencer sanders at quarterback Chuba Hubbard at running back and our yeah. favorite Smooshy Wallace at receiver. Oh, I, I think that they come out and they paste it on Oregon state at um, in Corvallis uh, to, to set the tone for the season. Yeah. And I, I look at this as a springboard, not only for Oregon state to have a better season than mm-hmm. the experts are calling for, but I think it will also wake up Mike Gundy and it'll wake up that uh, cowboy offense. Uh, I don't have it in front of me right now. I'm trying to flip to it, but I feel bad for, here we go, McNeese State next weekend when an (laughs) 0-1 Oklahoma State team comes in. I'm not kidding you, Bip. They could put up 80 points on McNeese State after getting beat in week one against Oregon State, the Cowboys, that is. So, But, yeah, I got to stick to my guns. I called it, and I I went back and forth and thought, well, maybe I should back off on it. But, nope, I'm going to stick to it. So Jonathan Smith and Beaver Nation proved me right. Otherwise, save me on Twitter. (laughs) So, uh, well, uh, with that, we are ready for week one to kick off. Remember that games go from Thursday all the way through Monday night. Four ranked teams in action on Thursday, two more on Friday night, and all of Saturday's games, there's a slew of them. Then a ranked team, Oklahoma, on Sunday, and ranked Notre Dame on Monday night against the Louisville Cardinals. Um, And then we get to do it all over again three days later into next week, Bip. Isn't life great? Yeah, I can't think of a better way to end the week, or maybe for us, Chappie, it's thought of even more of starting the week than football on a Thursday night, my friend. Yep, if I didn't have this uh, lame-ass uh, barbecue I got to go to on Sunday, um, <laughs> the weekend would be sweet. Yeah, right? <laughs> what, a, what an asshole. <laughs> well, this man, Bip, and I will be here throughout the season giving you a recap of the major events from each college football weekend combined with our weekly picks of the week. And we can expect and what we can expect to see coming. So if you want to be more informed than the other guys and maybe even make it pay off for you one way or another, continue to follow us here on Bowl Full of Chips. I am at champion underscore lit and he is at BFC BIP. So check us out on Twitter to get our picks in print in case you can't listen until later. And when you do listen, if you haven't already, subscribe to us and get your chips so much easier, so much faster. So as Rick James said. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy your long Labor Day weekend. Build the credit and make the investment of time now to your woman so she can hopefully reward you with the time you need to feast on all the football this weekend. 
and maybe a bonus if you're skilled enough. <laughs> that's all for us tonight. I am Chappie. And I am Bip. And that's all the knowledge we're going to equip. Thanks for choosing the right over the rest. You've done your listening. Now go on and get your watch on. Until next time, march on. See ya. See ya.